Cool, thank you very much. Today we've got Jan Neumeister. Is that a correct spelling there? A correct pronunciation, Jan? I mean, I've been, I've been called worse, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> correct. Jan Neumeister, I'll take any variant of that, to be honest. Thank you very much for joining me. He's the head of European operations for GameSquare um, and previously worked for Fazy Clan and Manchester City. Um, there's a very little bit of a background there for you, but it'd be great to hear your side of it, Jan, and just give us a brief bit of a background and what your current role entails. Sure. I mean, yeah, I kind of currently I'm head of operations for GameSquare Europe. Um, so basically, you know, GameSquare is, is a, a publicly listed esports entertainment business, essentially. So we're listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange and we have assets across the world. And I basically, you know, look after the European assets, which is an agency called Code Red, but also any brand partners that we have on this side of the Atlantic, any kind of thing that we do with, with any of our, um, I guess, entities that kind of crosses into Europe or can create a synergy within Europe is what I do. Yeah, as a, as a wider business, we have got, um, you know, some teams we do own a Crossfire team, a minority share a Crossfire team in China. We also have a minority stake in a League of Legends team called, uh, called R7, which are based in Mexico City. And we also have a media business called GCN who are based in, in Los Angeles and they kind of do media and creative. And, you know, we're, we're currently in a, you know, a very new company. We're very much in acquisition phase at the moment. So we are looking to acquire different assets globally to help us kind of, I guess, bring together the esports business a little bit. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but that's probably who we are. Previously to that, as you, as you rightly mentioned, I was at FaZe Clan for a bit. So I kind of looked after you know, FaZe's operations again in Europe, uh, kind of helped to find a bit of strategy about what they wanted to do in this market. You know, and this was kind of all before COVID hit, which somewhat scuttered those plans. And um, previous to that, I was at, at Manchester City. So City Football Group is, is kind of the correct bit. So City Football Group, as you well know, they um, outrightly own Manchester City. They own New York City, Melbourne City, have a minority stake in Yokohama and then own several other kind of satellite teams or, or feeder teams, as, as they're called more commonly, um, which basically helps kind of brands reach a football audience with, with global scale behind it and also a local touch, um, essentially. So that's kind of my previous kind of credentials to that. Then, you know, further background, I worked in media and advertising agencies for, you know, kind of decade preceding that, really. So, you know, it's been kind of a varied background, but, you know, it's kind of led me to this point, really. And I think there's lots of skills that I've picked up from all of those that kind of helped me do yeah, each each job that I, as I land into it, so it's been a fairly good career, hopefully, and uh, yeah, more of it to come. And as you said, you've gone from the kind of advertising world to pro sports to esports. What attracted you to the world of esports? What was the catalyst behind your move? Um, I, you know, for me, it's, it's a good question. It's something I get asked a lot. I think what's always driven me really has been audience. So when I worked in ad agencies, you know, especially in media agencies, you, you're you're pretty much driven by audience insight. You know, what is the truth that exists within an audience you know, how does that truth then help an advertiser a brand form some kind of genuine connection and you know back when back when i started you know millennials were still you know obviously i'm millennial supposedly as well but kind of this new hot audience and as i kind of have worked through my career those millennials become the mainstay you know they are the biggest consumer group at the moment particularly in north america um you know they own most most of the kind of positions of power and wealth at the moment as it were and then as time again, this, this new audience started to emerge, which we call kind of Gen Z and the audience after, which, which some people are calling alphas. So it's, it's kind of the audience that's kind of really led me here and how that audience is redefining, you know, not just traditional sport, but a new sport, which is esports, really. You know, esports is, is kind of native in this audience. They don't see it as a, as a separate thing that sits away from them listening to music or enjoying what we would call traditional sports or doing anything else they do. They just see it as another part of their culture, something that exists that they tap into, it helps define who they are. 
And I just found that endlessly fascinating having worked with, with FaZe Clan. So, you know, when I was at Man City, I did the deal with, with Man City and FaZe and kind of, you know, they opened up this kind of huge box of really what sat behind this audience and the power they had. And I thought that was just, yeah, something that I really wanted to learn more about and then engage with them and kind of in, in, engulf myself in really, because I think that's, that's something that's really going to shake up pretty much every tenant of culture that we, that we currently know and love. Uh, you know, for the better and maybe for the worse, and that's really something that I just want to get to know, get to know more of, and be part of that change. It's interesting. Your current your career is almost kind of following your audience and following your kind of love of learning, rather than I want to be in a specific industry. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny that, isn't it? Because I don't think, you know, growing up, we all probably wanted to be, you know, footballers or whatever. You know, we wanted to be doctors, nurses, that kind of thing. Fine, then no one ever grows up thinking, do you know what, I really want to be a media planner working on finance brands. Or, no, I don't think or anyone's media... ever said that. Yeah, that's that's not really on the uh, list of things when you draw your dream job, to be honest. But, you know, that's kind of where I ended up. But, you know, I, I never knew that job existed, to be honest. So when I did land in it, I, I, I couldn't believe, you know, to come to that point learning, the amount of resources at my fingertips of an agency, you know, even something as, 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 you know, often derided as TGI, which is kind of a huge server. I don't know if you ever work with TGI is a massive survey people used to do where you know, people filled out 5,000 questions and then got paid £10 and it was everything about you know, what washing powder do you use and you know, what do you think of these statements, I agree, disagree, whatever. But there's all this information at your fingertips to help work through audiences and then as we start to see digital acceleration you know, from kind of 2008 onwards around kind of cookie data and then programmatic came, all of a sudden these audiences became so rich that you know, it was it was endless amount of information we could gather. It was almost you know, got to a point where we were over optimizing things and almost getting to a level of paralysis about what true insight is. And I think with with some of the audiences, you know, some of that started to fall away. When you look at Gen Z, you know, they are happy to tell you exactly. You didn't have to guess and those kind of things. And yeah, it's been kind of a a learning of new things that's kind of driven me a lot more than necessarily the job. I mean, I was lucky enough to work in football, which is obviously a lot of people's dreams jobs. But again, for me, it was. This, this interesting challenge of you have a huge global audience. You know, uh, you know, if, you, you, you know if you're someone like Manchester United, you get to claim you have a billion fans. And you're kind of like, what does that really mean, having a billion fans? You know, and if, if you've got a billion fans, why, why aren't your revenues massive? <laughs> you know, why, are you, why is there such a huge gap between fans and um, monetization and how brands can actually have meaningful relationships with it, right? Why isn't every United fan driving a Chevrolet? Why isn't every Man City fan flying Etihad? You know, what's the kind of thing that sits behind it? And I think there's a lot of stuff I learned in advertising that helped me, I guess, bring to the fore and build a media business within you know, City Football Group and particularly within Manchester City in itself, it, it being the largest entity. That's kind of you know, led me into that natural progression again. Well, look, here's some stuff I know about traditional sports. Here's this new thing coming up, which is you know, we've labelled esports and gaming to a certain extent. And obviously there's a distinction between the two. And there's so many commercial models in play. There's so much stuff that's looking to happen within that category that we just haven't at all really explored, I think, um, even, even a tiny amount of what is possible in that space. So it's kind of starting that journey all over again, which is really exciting, to be honest. Do you think in traditional sports, I know this is my traditional hats coming on here, without Trevor Ben to rein me in from my, from my sports background, <laughs> um, do you think it was readily accepted when you went in with all these new ideas and you were talking about this new audience and you know the opportunities there are you know was it and do you think it's an industry that readily accepts or are there a lot of barriers still that people are still putting up that mean that they're not making the most of what they could do so i think in in a lot of traditional sports businesses it's a 
slow and steady wins the race is, is the mantra, right? Within certain football clubs, you know, from what I've seen, you know, having only really worked in, in kind of one major one, it's often a case of we know we're going to get a lot of TV money, we know we're going to get a certain amount of partnerships money. So all the stuff that is digital didn't, didn't really matter at the time. You know, and obviously when I first joined City, you know, what, what really encompassed my job was we've got an app and we've got a website, so make sure that makes money. And it's like, well, actually, what, what really is the opportunity of an app and a website is the content, right? That's the bit that we will never run out of. And actually, if we crack that, then yeah, we're, we're printing money really because we're creating stuff using our own stories, our own narratives and able to sell that and sell that to partners and sell that to distributors you know, or to broadcasters, whatever the case may be. There, there was a willingness to understand it and that's one of the reasons they hired me because they knew media was important but they didn't know what it was. So, you know, the, the kind of content play, you know, now is done by every club, right? Every club knows that on Instagram you have to have tone of voice, you have to be doing this type of content. You know, City did all or nothing. Now every club is doing their own version of all or nothing, you know, and selling it to whoever they can they can find a check from, right, at the moment. So these models are really, really clear. There, there is a slow adoption curve, but once something does bite, you'll see it rapidly adopted everywhere, right? Because no one can afford to leave revenue on the table, particularly in a in an ecosystem where, you know, which is very similar to esports, where professional players you know, accounting for pretty much most of what gets claimed by the revenue into their pockets, right? So you could be making millions a year, but the players are obviously earning a huge amount. So therefore, yeah, you're running on pretty tight margins, which is the same in most sports, I would say, most traditional sports. The models there are completely different. Whereas I think when you look at something like esports, because it's digitally built, it's so much more engaged with a community. They'll tell you, you know, the the fans of Counter-Strike will tell you very quickly whether something's good or not. And they will vote with their feet very quickly. Whereas I think with traditional sports, you do have, you know, I guess using the Super League phrase, legacy fans who will still buy Sky, they will still buy tickets to games, buy the shirt, buy the, you know, whatever official DVD at the end of the season, that kind of stuff. So you do have that. So, but it is, it is starting to change. You know, traditional sports shouldn't be necessarily looked down upon because it has fixed and rigid models. They are there for a reason to solve a specific problem around wages and around. Um, funding and paying for infrastructure so therefore i can understand why there's often resistance to changing stuff because you need to cover cost and avoid risking you know that that going downhill we've seen it with lots of clubs you know berry being obviously a recent example but you know if you remember way back when malaga and you know when everyone was buying clubs and it didn't quite work out you know you can see how it goes wrong you know the leeds united of this world will tell that story better than anyone else but yeah, there's always a bit of resistance to change. Of course, you know you're trying something new. We, yeah, if 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 it was easy, then yeah, it wouldn't be fun either. To be honest, do you see that happening a little bit in esports? Because we see all these kind of you know new funding coming in for teams and with the fans as well. You know, you've got a traditional set of fans who gaming and esports has been done in a certain way, and then suddenly teams are coming in and they need to monetize. They need to bring in revenues. And do you think there's kind of some kind of chasm is going to happen between the teams and the fans at some stage? Yes. I mean, there's kind of a couple of questions there. Yes, I do think there is, there is some issues there. So I think within esports, there's no one standard traditional model, right? With something like Twitch, you know, the broadcast model is very, very different. You know, how, you know, how that works and how that then drives revenue for the individual creator or a team or a tournament is completely different to how a Sky, BT or ESPN might work, for example, you know, where it's kind of here's some money up front for three seasons and we demand this amount of total airtime and then this amount of stuff goes into sponsors and we get ad breaks and that kind of stuff. So 
There is that, that that does exist. You know, if you look at some of the leagues in North America, Overwatch League, for example, you know they they sold to ESPN. Their their coverage had very little viewing on linear TV because that's not where the audience lives. You know, so that model kind of looks a bit shaky, to be honest. Um, so there is ways that, but there's there's so many commercial models at play at the moment. It's almost it's almost just completely splintered and fragmented out. And to a certain extent, that's where you know, we as GameSquare try to take advantage of that as well, right? When something is so fragmented, we try and put it together and say, well, look, as a brand, we can help you reach your audience in the best place possible, be that through a streamer, an influencer, a team, a tournament, whatever it may be. You know, we can use data and smart analytics for all the different businesses that we own to essentially help you find that. And I think, yeah, going to the point about the audience, you do see some of that rub, right? If you look at one of the, you know, something that's most watched, you know, Counter-Strike has huge, huge audience following, but the monetization on it isn't particularly great, right? Because that audience is so hardcore, you know, and to play, you also have to be very committed. You know, these guys that play Counter-Strike spend upwards of you know, 10, 14 hours a day playing, trying to get good. So it leaves very little space for essentially the commercial side of the business, right? These guys aren't going to have time to, jump in front of a camera and say, hey, look, you know, this is the latest offer from brand XYZ or do XYZ for, for a brand of content point of view or do anything beyond that. Likewise, I think, yeah, the audience doesn't really want that. They want to see gameplay. They don't want to see in-game ads. They don't want to see lots of other things that we could see as, as potential revenue opportunities. They just want to be there for the purity of the sport. And that obviously, I guess, clashes a little bit with, with what's happening in the space, right? Because, you know, brands like ESL and Blast are always trying to monetize that audience because there's a huge amount, you know, Counter-Strike is one of the most watched things on, on Twitch. But to monetize, it's just incredibly difficult. But then it also falls back into the individual creators as well, right? You've got likes of Ninja, who, you know, a bit like a LeBron James of the world or a Michael Jordan is kind of that 1% athlete that's just a god level. Beyond that, you've got guys like FaZe Mongrel, who, you know, have a huge following, but, you know, not every brand's going to like their content, their output, for example. So it's, it's, a, it's a real problem throughout the whole ecosystem of trying to drive that revenue while trying to remain true to your product because what you might gain in revenue, chances are you're going to lose an audience. And it's, it's that fine balance line. And this is the thing, you know, the chips haven't really fallen in esports and gaming yet for us to really truly know where that balance needs to lie, you know. And I think there's, there's, there's probably a few more iterations of games and content creators and change and, and kind of new, new kind of thought coming into the industry until we really land on a place where, you know, we are as stable as something like football or basketball or whatever sport you may be looking at um, with an audience that is, is far more engaged and, and, and far more, I guess, willing to be part of that ecosystem as opposed to be a passive consumer. And that's, that's yeah, an exciting time to, to be around, an exciting thought to kind of look into. Do you think for brands as well? Because I think there's they want to get involved in gaming and they want to get involved mm-hmm. in esports. They hear all these great brands that get involved. You see all the car brands getting involved. But do you think there's a thing there where they, they get involved within something like Fortnite, which is less of an probably less of an esports because it's more of a kind of entertainment? There's so many crossovers in there. Yeah. Versus CSGO, which is a blood sport. Yeah. I mean, it depends on, on the the appetite of the brand to be around things, right? So I think when you look at it, well, if you take a step back, if you're a marketeer, during this last year, you've been told, got to do something in gaming and esports, or you know, you've got to do something in esports. As a marketeer, you're probably going, yeah, you know, totally understand, have to do it. You, you lift the lid off the world of gaming and esports, and you're like, what on earth is going on? Yeah. Like, what actually is happening here? Because I thought, you know, as we do, a, you know, a lot of people do here in Western Europe, 
everyone thinks kind of esports is FIFA, right? FIFA is the big game. Everyone plays FIFA, right? That's your reference point. When actually, when you look into the world of gaming esports, FIFA really isn't anything to, to shout about, right? It's got generally low audiences in terms of tournaments. It's got, you know, it's, it's, it's not well re- kind of it's not very watchable it's all the different things no, it's so, a spectacle it's pretty poor and i think it's pretty it depends poor. on the iteration of the game i think the most recent version of fifa has been quite defensive so there's not a lot of action well, exactly happens. you're kind of almost like watching arsenal in the early 90s aren't you just kind of one nils and you know just pass it around the back a little bit so that, that then creates this problem where everyone's going oh god what, what am i supposed to do like you know so i thought it was fifa it turns out it's not actually some of the most popular sports are you know, Counter-Strike, Fortnite, Valorant, whatever, Call of Duty, you know, that's what everyone's playing. That's where my audience is. But as a brand, I can't be near a blood sport. So, you know, I either panic and put all my money on Twitch or I basically go to a streamer and kind of try and do something that way or I try and find an alternative where I might sponsor a league and do what happened. And I think, you know, some people go into Fortnite because, yeah, it starts to go, go into that space where it's, it's not just about the, I guess, the, the game itself, the Battle Royale format. It's more about the kind of cultural traction that you can have within that, be that Travis Scott event, be that whatever, you know, when Fortnite kind of obviously finished for a couple of days of the whole world went into meltdown, if you're at least under the age of 23, I, I think it did. So, yeah, we, we're starting to see brands be a bit more there, but obviously a lot of them are looking at going, well, I just need to do something, right? I need to, ha- I need to have something in the space. And even if it's wrong, I just need to be there to, A, probably tick a bit of a box and say, right, I'm doing something, and, and that kind of helps me learn. Uh, but also because, you know, if someone like BMW is sponsoring, you know, how, I can't remember how many teams they've got now, four or five teams within different sports. You know, if I'm, a, if I'm a Mercedes, if I'm whatever, then I'm probably thinking, hmm, yeah, I probably need to do that. I mean, look, every esports has its own audience as well. And if, you, if you're clever about it, then you can kind of start to work out very quickly where you need to be. So I think if you look at like a brand that I think is super brave and engaged with a space and actually takes time to listen, it's Gucci. You know, they've just launched stuff on Roblox. They're doing stuff in lots of different variants. You know, they you know, be that um, Animal Crossing, whatever. You know, they're being very clever with their audience, still maintaining their premiumness, still maintaining the kind of Gucci, yeah, I guess, <laughs> brand values to a certain extent, which you know, are, are multiple and, and are quite quite varied in terms of what these what Gucci now represents. But yeah, that's that's one brand. Everyone else will at some point have to be a part of this world. Um, so. I'd always encourage brands to have that conversation now and at least make a couple of mistakes and figure it out before kind of it's too late really and the costs are too prohibitive and that's kind of always been the way i mean i remember <laughs> back in the day when when i was in my media agency days you know, this is when facebook was still quite new yeah you know, hsbc and uh, you you might remember this as well dan hsbc launched um a facebook page you know classic back facebook page you know, anyone could comment you couldn't turn anything off and then, you know, about a couple of months later, they decided to change the student bank accounts. You know, the students would have to pay fees, you know, overdraft penalties, all this kind of stuff. And obviously, they all went onto Facebook and just started ripping into HSBC. Yeah, and HSBC was like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing we've ever done. We need to stop all digital. And it's, it's like, well, no, actually, you know, the lesson they learned from that day on was you've now created a platform for you to engage with a customer with. This is a positive, not a negative. Yes, it's going to be a little bit painful, but actually now this is puts you ahead of any other bank because you're going to have all these different learnings and things from you know what you did in the real world and now has an online repercussion. You know, again, these things will sound really standard now. Of course, you've got to have community managers now and someone sat there responding and you've got to have a tone of voice as a bank in digital as much as you do in TV. But this is the same with an esports and gaming, right? The best time to get into it was yesterday, right? Because tomorrow it's only going to be twice as expensive or three times more expensive and you know your competition probably already done something so rather than being a me too 
I'd always say to brands, well, look, start off small. Start to build your persona and your identity and understand what it is that you add to the space and then build it out from there. You know? And I think that's the, that's the way I'd always look at it. That's great advice. I do want to go jump into GameSquare mm. um, before we finish off. Get a few questions in there. Firstly, obviously, you're involved a lot with Code Red. Mm-hmm. Can you explain the decision to acquire Code Red and what was the main driver for it? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, if Code Red, so for, for anyone listening who, who's not aware of them, they are a UK-based influencer uh, talent agency management company. Um, they also brokerage down deals. They're basically yeah, a company that a couple of guys started it. You know, Luke Colton, who's, who's still one of the founders, CEO, still works there. And essentially, they manage talent, so streamers and gamers, um, as well as the kind of broadcast talent. So if you think like the Gary Lineker of, of, of sports casting for esports, you know, so they can have talent that can kind of work with brands. They can have broadcasting talent that can essentially commentate on events and work with brands as well. Um, but they also brokerage brand deals. So one of the big clients is, is Bud Light and you know, they've got a few others in the mix as well. And for us, it kind of gives us a really good platform. You know, well, everything that GameSquare is all about is about being authentic in the space. You know, we want to work with companies that aren't just popping up because they see a media opportunity and essentially just going, right, okay, you know, influence is really good, so we're just going to create an influence business and try and monetize. You know, these guys have been doing this for a number of years, right? They're trusted within that ecosystem, which means that for us to acquire them, it gives us a really good foothold. Well, I can't quite remember the full nice 75 plus streamers and talent that they have exclusively, right? It gives a really good foothold in the UK to talk to brands, you know, with a business that is well established, that knows gaming and esports inside out. You know, if you talk to any of the guys there, yeah, they they know gaming, you know, like the back of their hand. It's not like, I guess, you know, and I don't want to pour too much scorn on them, you know, like you always see with media agencies, and I used to be part of this world as well, where, you know, something happens in culture and a media agency pops up and goes, oh, great, we're a media agency. Well, look, let's let's put some guys in a room and create it. You know, back in the day when, I remember when music was kind of, music obviously always been big, but music was kind of opening up a lot more to product placement. You know, one of the agencies I worked at, they basically just rounded up everyone in skinny jeans who smoked rollies and knew who the Arctic Monkeys were and said, right, you are a music department now. Go and sell music sponsorships and music opportunities to brands. And we see that a lot within gaming now. And that's great. And, um, you know, some of the guys that work at all these different agencies, yes, of course, they are gamers. They, you know, they play it, they live it, they breathe it. But that hasn't been their day job for 10 plus years, right? They haven't seen the evolution. They haven't seen that they haven't got the engagement with the community. You know, it's easy to be cynical, but um, you know, these guys are obviously talented as much as Code Red guys, but they just haven't lived and breathed it as much. And I think for brands, authenticity in this space is so much more key. And I think the reason for that would be because the audience demands it, right? The kind of classic days of, yeah, you could be a brand and you just sponsor something and it's big logos here kind of stuff. And that gives you position in, in, in sports or whatever it was you were doing. Yeah, that doesn't exist within gaming you need to be adding value into the space. So therefore, if you haven't got people that are you know, connecting brands into the audiences and helping you understand what that value is that you're going to give, I think you're going to be in real big trouble. And chances are a lot of what you're going to do isn't going to land in the way you intended it to. So that's why we kind of acquired Code Red. You know, we saw a good opportunity to buy a business here in the UK that gives us a foothold to essentially manage our, our European business. Um, you know, in their own right, they are, you know, we saw from our last quarterly results, they're doing really well. You know, had a good Q1. You know, obviously there, there's lots more activity happening within Q2 and, and for the rest of the year. Yeah, and it, it helps us kind of almost bring more opportunities to the table from across the pond as well, and vice versa. So that's why we acquired them. As you say, you know that 
when you're looking for acquisitions, you're looking for authentic fits within the industry. Where do you see That's the opportunities right. for the kind of, you know, the next 18 months for investment acquisition? Yeah, look, I mean, we look at the broad spectrum of, of what encompasses esports and the gaming ecosystem, really, right? So, yes, we've got an influencer agency, we've got media businesses, we've got you know, creative al- assets, and there's other things coming on board. But I guess we want to look at every every piece of the pie, right? So data is obviously super, super important. You know, there's talent that we need to get. You know, that's talent that works for us, but also talent that we might want to own. There's the IP that we might want to go after. <laughs> Particularly in, in the modern world, you need to own IP and create IP to basically have a stake and monetize long term. And I think that's, that's, that's super, super important. And that can be this side of Atlantic or the, the you know the other side of Atlantic, as it were, you know, north or south of the equator as well. But look, we're, we're kind of in a, you know, we're not trying to tick boxes and say right, we've got one talent agency, so that's it. You know, if we see other opportunities and they make sense for us in terms of our acquisition profile, so we look for businesses that are commercially viable, so they haven't got a huge burn rate. If they have, you know, there needs to be a, a quick path to profit. Generally, we look at the people as well and say right, you know. As a business such as GameSquare, we want people as well in our in our individual businesses that we own that challenge us as much as we would challenge them. You know, we need them on board and, and buying into our vision in terms of what we're trying to create. You know, and we always say we kind of have a bit of a no dickheads policy um, because we want people that aren't in it purely just for for money and wealth and getting a couple of shares from from GameSquare that we can then you know fire out into the market when they're ready to do so. We want people that are genuinely engaged in this in this world that want to build something truly, truly big. And I think that's super important, right? Because we've spoken to a lot of agencies and, you know, you know or businesses you know, all across the world and teams, and they've said, right, you know, this is the cost. And their multipliers are just off the chart because they're thinking from a, a money point of view or trying to base their acquisition on essentially looking at the, what the market is doing. So they say, right, you know, the market is increasing by X percent, so therefore my multiplier is X times X, and that never works. So we're trying to create something that's a bit different here. You know, we've got obviously rivals in the space, you know, looking like Enthusiast Gaming, for example, they're buying lots of publishers and stuff, and they're, you know, listed on, I think, on the NASDAQ now. They've got, a, they've got an interesting path they follow. We want to basically, I guess, emulate them in terms of size and some of the things that they're doing but the reality is we're, we're setting our own path here. We're definitely following our own destiny here in terms of building sustainable infrastructure pieces. You know, And this, when I say that, I mean, it's less about teams and games because they will change over time and more about the back-end businesses, right? So the reason we might buy a team, for example, is because of their back-end and go, you know what, should the game they're currently playing, which is, I don't know, whatever, Valorant or you, know, you name it, cease to exist in three years' time, can that business pivot um, to play this game or that game or could they take out the the sales guys or the the kind of account handlers for the brands they have and turn that into an agency model or whatever it would be or become a new hundred thieves or a phase that's kind of where we're looking at so the business that we're looking at right now they're going to be in their own right but we're interested in what is their five-year plan you know how do we fuel that growth how do we build them into an all-powerful machine that helps fuel all the other businesses within it that's also part of my role, right? That I try and create synergies between different businesses you know, here in Europe, in the States, in Mexico, the stuff we're doing in China, wherever it may be, to try and just make everyone that bit stronger. It's a long-winded answer to what you're saying, but essentially, look, we are, you know, we are a young company ourselves. We're acquiring. We've got some good assets. We're looking for more. But the types that we're looking for aren't just the ones that are just readily available or going for a song. They really need to have something core to it. And when you look at this industry, it comes down to audience, this industry. It's going to live and die by the audience and how they behave. 
So therefore, it also comes down to the human capital that sits within your business, right? And how they can be agile enough to respond to what the audience needs or wants or is looking for, whether they know it or not. And then how you can connect the brand into that audience in an authentic space. If you don't have some of those things in place, then gaming risks turning into just another kind of, you know, sport where you are just putting big logos on shirts again and it's all about kind of banners and you know discount codes and that's not really the opportunity that we have in front of us gaming is so much more powerful than just the, the, those things i've mentioned and you know i hope that in the next couple of years brands that come into it you know put on their kind of thinking hats and work with us and you know all the other agencies and teams are out there to help create that the model is yet to be defined so we kind of need everyone's resource and brain power to put on it and Everyone's trying to do different things, you know, us included, and, and we'll see where the chips kind of la- fall on that really and, and how that looks at the end of the day. So, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting time, I say, and I think I wouldn't really want to be in any other space, to be honest. I can't think anywhere else that's going through this much change and, on, on a generational level. And that feels like a brilliant place to wrap up as well. I, th- I think we'll have to get you back on as a, as, a, as a second guest at some stage because I think there's so many other things that we could dig into. And I'm sure Trev and Ben, when they can get onto uh, the podcast, will have lots of questions as well. But thank you very much for your time, Jan. No, thank you so much, Dan, for having me on. And yeah, look forward to speaking in the future. And then keep an eye. If anyone wants to follow us, by the way, obviously GameSquare, our uh, stock tracker is gsq.cn. So that's uh, on the Canadian Exchange. And obviously there's news coming out all the time. So keep posted on LinkedIn and I'm sure we'll, we'll speak again in the future. 